Hello, and welcome to the Hey You Got This podcast. I am your co-host, Stacia. And I am your co-host, Lizzie, and we are your friends in all things wellness weirdness. And today we are discussing our September 2020 book club read, which is The Body Is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. I know that Stacia and I both are obsessed with this book, so I cannot wait to talk about it, talk about everything we learned. I definitely have listened to the book a couple different times because it's just so magical and packed with good stuff. And yeah, I think that you guys will really like it too. Definitely. I really appreciate it as a whole now that I know a lot more about life and social issues and things, realizing when you read a book that brings together so many different topics, like aka intersectionality, that was something that I just really appreciated, that it wasn't just like how to accept and have radical self-love for your body, but like how all these systems contribute to your body shame. And I just thought that her critique of that all was like so fascinating. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. And I really liked, I remember the first time I listened to the book, I really liked, I was kind of expecting it to be one of those books. That's just like body positivity, love yourself. And I was sort of like dragging my feet to read it. And it's not like that at all. It's, I mean, it's very positive, but it also like very much acknowledges real life. And I thought it was just, it had so many helpful nuggets for me to like ingest and be thinking about just my relationship with my body and food and society. And so if you are on the fence about the book and you don't really want another thing that's just like screaming body positivity at you, this is not that. Yes, I think that's a really good point because I think so often, especially books that become wildly popular, like they kind of get oversaturated with too much woo-woo and all that stuff. And I really feel like she left that all at the door and was like really practical, really knowledgeable and also like realistic and uh, Mm -hmm. shows what really does contribute to your body shame. And I really feel like, oh my gosh, as I was listening to it, she made so many points that I was like, yes, this is what Lizzie and I basically say our entire (laughs) podcast. Like (laughs) this is what the podcast is about. Like this is fascinating. Like I know she's our girl. I love it. She's, She's amazing. She's like, I've learned so much from her. And yeah, if you guys like our podcast, you will love this book. It's all like supplemental complimentary information. And it's just great. So Stacia, Let's dive in. What did you think of the book? Impressions? Share your thoughts. So one of the things that I really liked, because it just reminded me so often of a message that we share here on the podcast, and I liked that she put it into a bit more of like a concrete frame versus we often say like, follow the money. Who's making you feel this way? And I love that she brings that up multiple times. And she also talks about detriment buying versus best interest buying. And one of the quotes she had from it was, do I truly know I am not less worthy without these purchases? Am I buying this because it is in addition to the fullness of my already divine existence? Or is this purchase an effort to fix some presumed flaw? And if I think I'm flawed, where is that message coming from? Who told me and why do I believe them? 
And I like just got chills because I'm just yes. like, we need to ask ourselves these questions every damn day. I know. Because society is going to do one hell of a job trying to convince us that we are not worthy without these purchases. And like the amount of money that goes into advertising towards beauty and uh, cosmetic aesthetic products towards women is astronomical. It's truly bananas. And I remember listening to this book for the first time and hearing that exact point that you're talking about, Stacia. And she, I can't remember exactly how she words it, but she makes a point of like, if you feel the urge to purchase something, just pause for a second and really think about exactly where it came from and maybe like come back to it later. And I started doing that and it blew my mind. All of these things that I was like, previously would have been quick trigger buying that I'm now like, I don't actually need this. And something I read in a book about minimalism that's been really helpful that I like incorporated into her philosophy is when I do feel the urge to buy something from like messaging or marketing or whatever, I add it to a wish list, like usually an Amazon wish list or something. And then I make it sit there for a couple of days to be like, do you actually still want this? And oftentimes I don't. Oftentimes it was just from like, the messaging that I got in the moment or something that really triggered shame that I was like, I need this to better myself. And then I'm like, I don't actually need this. I'm never going to use this or I don't want to take these gross supplements, whatever it is. Or even like purchasing as a means to cope. I know for me, I feel like during the quarantine, it wasn't even necessarily that marketing made me want to buy something. It was like, I'm feeling bad about myself and the world. So I need to buy something to make myself feel better. And that I fall into that trap of just thinking that having more stuff is somehow, which I guess might be like subliminal marketing messaging, but feeling that I need more stuff in order to be happier or more fulfilled, which is also part of the reason why I'm like excited for van life because I was just I'm gonna not going to have an address where I can yeah. send stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I won't have an address where I can send stuff. And I also don't have space where I can put stuff. So it's going to be an interesting experience, like experiment in like consuming less. And I'm excited for that. Yeah. I mean, every time I go on vacation, I'm always so shocked that I can happily live out of my suitcase and not miss really any of the stuff that I left at home, except, you know, maybe a couple things that I'm like, I wish I brought that. But it's always such an inspiration for me to not have as much stuff because like, you know, you go on vacation and you pack a couple outfits and then you just like make it work, you know, but it's so easy, especially in America to just keep buying stuff all the time. And like, for what? And I totally agree. And it's so wild for me (laughs) because I was just thinking about the fact that in the middle of this pandemic, I moved from New York back to the Seattle area Mm -hmm. and I packed up two suitcases and a carry-on bag and left behind eight boxes of stuff in New York and I can't even remember what I left behind and I do not miss it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I already don't have a lot of stuff because I move a lot. And so I don't often bring a ton of stuff as I'm moving from place to place. And so it's just like, I don't even understand. Like if I had a house, I would be a disaster because I would have so much stuff. <laughs> right. I know we we do live in a house and it's really interesting because when I first moved in, I... When I first moved in, when we first moved in, I felt this urge to like fill up the space because it's just such a like you have empty space and it's such a consumerism thing. And I 
I am very much a minimalist. And so I had to like sit with it and challenge myself not to fill up the space or to fill it up with things I already had that maybe I was like refurbishing or something. And I love it. Like now that our house is like, we really don't have a ton of stuff. Like the stuff we do have, I really love, but it's, it's calming. It's like a Zen space because it's not just cluttered with crap. I thought the whole concept of like, don't apologize for your body was so needed and so fascinating. What were your, like, how did you interpret that? What are your thoughts? If you want to like dive in a little bit to sort of how she explains it. I really loved that point. And I think it allowed me the opportunity to look at my own life and the ways that I've apologized either for my body or even just my existence. And I think that that's something that women often struggle with dealing with this idea that they need to apologize even for existing and taking up space. And so the fact that we are constantly apologizing for our bodies as well, like, oh, I'm sorry that my body isn't perfect, but like, will you please still accept it? Like, I'm sorry that my body was made this way, but can you still love it and all these things? And that you have to like the whole premise of the book is that your body is not an apology. And it's unfortunate that that almost does seem like a radical idea that we can just show up as we are without an explanation and without asking for permission. Like, please let me exist in this body that I have. Like, what a radical idea. And I just think the message is so, so important for really, honestly, I know that it's not just women that struggle with body image issues and feeling the pressure that society puts on them that they have to show up a certain way. It's just more so that women don't have other areas in which society say that they are worthy. So we we are women. Like, I don't know what, you know, I'm sure I know that there are so many things that society imposes on men, but like, that's not our lived experience. So, yeah. (laughs) But I would love to know, like, what your thoughts were on it. Well, she made, I thought how she introduced the idea of your, the body not being an apology was really interesting. And um, I just wanted to like reshare the story. So she talks about having a friend with some physical disabilities who's like, I'm sorry that, you know, we need to go here because there's a ramp and I'm really sorry that I need, you know, X, Y, Z. And she's trying to like make everybody else around her comfortable. And Sonia says like, hey, you, your body is not an apology. Like, and that's where the name of the book comes from. But she's just like, you don't need to apologize for just like being as you are. It's not, you know, you're not an inconvenience. You're not like, you don't have to apologize just because you can't do some of these things. And that just really blew my mind. And obviously that's the premise for the whole book, but it is something that we all do as humans all the time, especially women though, of just apologizing. Like, I'm sorry that I, you know, X, Y, Z, like I know. Sorry, I have a question. I'm sorry. I have a question. I'm sorry that something I notice that I do all the time is like, I'm sorry that you as a stranger ran into me and some, somehow like I'm going to apologize because you bumped into me in the store. Whereas like I was not, you know, I was minding my surroundings. You were not. We always do that as people. And I started thinking about it a lot because I know I've touched on this a little bit, but I have a chronic pain condition in my bladder. And sometimes when it flares up, I like really can't leave the house or I can't do things. And I used to like apologize for it so much. Like I would be like, Mm. I'm so sorry. I can't come to our plans. Like I need to reschedule. And I would just go into it feeling so bad. And then other people, I feel like sometimes when you apologize, you're kind of setting people up for, they're like, are you really sick? You know, what, what's really going on? Whereas now I've been working on just being like, 
this is happening. I can't go do this. I need to reschedule. And I remember when I did my yoga teacher training, they were like, stop apologizing. It's so awkward when you're teaching a class or when you're taking a class and the yoga teacher is like, sorry, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, And just say, oops, instead or whatever. And the woman facilitating my training made the point that when you apologize, you're giving other people the power and you're suddenly making it seem like you're, it's something you did was so bad, which like apologies are necessary in the right situation. But she was like, if all you did was like say the wrong thing in a yoga class, like that's not bad, that's human and just recorrect yourself. And I think that really applies to this situation too, of it's like your body just is the way that it is. And we need to stop apologizing for like needing a different size or needing certain foods or needing different accommodations. Exactly. And I think you brought up a good point that thinking of the ways in my life in which I have apologized for taking up space. And I remember with my sponsor and my co-sponsored person having a meeting and like for 40 minutes we talked about me and kind of what I had like a big struggle that was going on. And I felt so uncomfortable as we like neared past 20 minutes, past 30 minutes, I was so aware of the fact that like so much time was being spent on me. And then by the time it finished, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that I just took up all this time. And they're like, Stacia, don't apologize. You're worth it. You can take up that time. Like we are here to support you. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what? I can take up 40 minutes of somebody's time because they want to help me and they want to support me. And I just think that uh, the meta message about just not only is your body not an apology, but your existence isn't an apology (laughs) is something that she made a good point of throughout the book. And obviously that's like the theme of the book, but I'm just obsessed with that message. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and like you made such a good point because I do that too. And I think everybody who's listening has done that. And it's like, I'm sure that if you were in the other situation and someone were talking about themselves for 40 minutes about something they really need to process, you wouldn't be like, please apologize to me for taking up time, you know? And if they were to apologize, you would be like, why are you apologizing? But when we're in that situation, it's very easy to feel bad and unworthy and it's just a lot. It is. And I'm curious. So one of the points she talked about early on in the book is that we did not start life in a negative partnership with our bodies. And then later on references different stories that people have told about their experiences with body shame. And I'm just curious, I know we've touched on it on previous episodes, but kind of like what your first body shame, well, what, like your first memory of body shame or like needing to apologize for your body. Yeah. My, you know, and I know I've talked about this, but this podcast is an audio format so people can't see me, but I'm pretty tall. And especially when I was younger, like I was grew really quickly and I was way taller than everybody else from a very young age. And also like, I, I am not the type of tall person who's like slender, like a gazelle, like I'm a proportionate tall person and I've always been really strong. And I remember from a very young age, like if we were playing dress up or something or just like, you know, other things where I was, my size was just so different from the other girls that I was playing with feeling somehow uncomfortable about that. Or like I needed to apologize for it. And I, really remember 
also like the guys hated that I was so much taller than them, especially in like middle school, which is just like hell Mm -hmm. and feeling like I somehow needed to apologize to them that they felt emasculated and like that they were shorter than me and I was stronger than them, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, Mm -hmm. so for me, I think a lot of my body shame just came from like not being the same size as a lot of my friend group. Like I've always been of my friend group in high school, not my college friend group because we were all rowers we were all monster giant amazons (laughs) um but like my friend group that i grew up with i was always way taller than everybody and like way you know i weighed a lot more because my body was just bigger and i remember when we were younger and it was not because of anything they ever said but just feeling like i needed to apologize for that or it was weird that my body stuck out um you know i did ballet and so that was something where it I really felt like self-conscious about it. And so that I think it would be where mine came from. But what about you? I think it's so interesting how we all experience body shame in such different ways. And my body shame has always been surrounding like the sexuality of the sexualness of my body. And I remember in fifth grade when I had to go to Victoria's Secret with my mom and get my first bra. And it wasn't like a cupped bra. It was just like a little soft, like sports bra looking thing. Those like bralettes. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bralette. And that I remember this girl, we're standing in line waiting to go out to recess in fifth grade. And she's like, why are you wearing two tank tops? And I just remember being so embarrassed and so ashamed that I was developing before other people were. And now it was getting me attention and people are like what's wrong with you yeah and then like I remember throughout middle school constantly getting in trouble for the dress code and feeling like there was something inherently wrong with my body because uh, it was inappropriate and wrong and I remember one time during a um, what was it called in an assembly there was like a whipped cream pie eating contest oh, I that I those. did. Yeah, those were so weird also. <laughs> Very strange. And I remember as I was like doing it, I can't remember if it was during it or afterwards. One of the guys in my grade, he was like, we can see down your shirt. And I just like, I literally went home Aww. and like sobbed for the entire day. Like yeah. I was so ashamed and mortified of my body. Like, I felt like I constantly felt like my body was this dirty, gross, wrong thing. Yet then I also realized how much power it gave me Mm -hmm. because it got me attention and I could like manipulate and use it to get attention and all this stuff. And so it's my relationship with my body has been very complicated. And in fact, when I went to the cabin in the woods, one of the big healing elements of it was healing the shame that I have around my body. And I did a big ritual of like releasing the shame about my body. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I think that that was really helpful because I just realized how much shame I carried around about my body. And I know that that is something that is so common, but it always presents in different ways. It's not just a one size fits all how we experience our body shame. But uh, I think it's something that that's why I was like so excited to read this book because I know for me, I've really struggled with it and I'm still working on letting go of the shame I carry around 
for my body. And I still get triggered and like shame spiral when a person even just looks at my body because I just want to scream at them. And like, I'm not an object. Don't look at me. Like, let me exist in my body, please. Let me just be in what I'm wearing. It's been, it's so interesting. Um, and I obviously haven't been doing this for a few months now, but, um, (laughs) was coaching teenage girls. So I would be around teenage girls really regularly. And for those of you who don't know, about rowing, it's very much like a spandex sport. Like the way you dress for rowing is very similar to the way like volleyball players dress. You wear like short spandex, tight clothes because the equipment, you don't want anything to get caught in the equipment. And so like sometimes the girls wear pretty short shorts. And as long as like their ass cheeks aren't showing, I don't really care. But some other coaches and some other adults that are around them get really uncomfortable about it. And they try to be like, you can't wear that. And I am always very much the advocate that's like, as long as they're not like endangering themselves or like, you know, showing like, you know, if there's if their spandex is totally see through or if their butt cheeks are hanging out like if your butt cheeks are hanging out, it's going to be really uncomfortable for you to row. You're not going to be able to row well. But outside of that, I always really push for like, it does not matter what they're wearing and we cannot put the focus on that because the boys are all walking around with their shirts off and nobody is saying anything. Everyone's like, oh, they're, you know, they're working really hard and no one says anything about like, you're distracting the girls. And so that's, it's been like my covert mission coaching teenage girls to not let them feel shame about like trying to move and work out. Cause that's a thing too, is like workout clothes, like Stacia, I know you and I live for athleisure and that can get sexualized so quickly. And it's like, I'm just trying to work out. I'm just trying to like be comfortable and not be too hot. Exactly. And that just like goes back to like victim blaming that instead of teaching men not to objectify and sexualize women, we're trying to teach women how to exist in a world where they are objectified and sexualized. And it's like, no, that's not our responsibility. (laughs) We should be allowed to exist in our bodies without fear of retribution for just like existing in our bodies. And so I'm very happy to hear that you advocate for it not being like the woman's issue. It serves a purpose. Like they are dressed the way that they are dressed. And even if it didn't serve a purpose, they can still do that. They can dress however they want. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I think it's very much a challenge for, and obviously you can't do this every time someone makes a comment about your clothing, but kind of putting it back on them of like, well, why does this make you so uncomfortable? You know, and I was thinking the other day, you know, this is random, but slightly related. I saw somebody and they were wearing a black dress and it was raining out and like a cold, miserable day. And like the first thought that came to my head was, oh, aren't you cold? And I was like, oh, my gosh, I just like made myself like that crotchety old woman. Put some clothes on. Yes. (laughs) And I was like. Oh my God, if that person wants to wear that, like I had to stop that thought mid thought. And I remember how much it drove me crazy when people would comment on my outfit choice. And it's like, oh, aren't you cold? And it was like, even if I am, it is my choice. I chose to wear this. Yeah. Leave me alone. And that like, that is such a common response to women and how they dress. Like, oh, you're really going to wear that? Or like, oh, are you going to be comfortable in that? Or like, oh, and it's like, oh my gosh, like, can we just stop commenting on women's bodies, what they choose to wear, how they choose to exist? Like, (laughs) just stop. I saw something, um, this is like a trend on social media last week that it's like so relevant to this. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but I saw so many women last week posting about like, can we just take these stupid pads out of our sports bras? Like, 
they always get fucked up in the wash. They get all jumbled up. And I like reshared a couple of them on my Instagram stories because I thought they were so funny. And, but she was like, yeah, people are terrified of nipples. Yes. Like the only reason those are there is so people don't see our nipples. And like, why does that matter? Yep. My sister and I have had like (laughs) ongoing conversations over the last like month and a half because obviously quarantine, like not really wearing bras so much. And we're like, can we just make bras not a thing? And then we were like, yes, we can, but we're going to go out in public and people are going to stare. And it's like, it's kind of that like double-edged sword where it's like, no, I want to be empowered to do what I want. But I'm like, we live in a world. But I also don't want people staring at my nipples. (laughs) Yeah. And like, what a conundrum that is. And like the whole double standard about men's nipples versus women's nipples and all this other stuff. But it's absolutely ridiculous. But it is. And then I just was thinking about like, I have this drawer in my dresser that's just full of those stupid pads. Like I keep them for some reason (laughs) as if I'm going to use them. And so I threw them all out, but I was just like, oh my God, how many of these have I gone through in my fucking life and kept because I'm like, well, I don't want people to see my nipples. Or like, I know if I teach certain yoga classes, like if I'm going to teach a yoga class in public, which again, hasn't happened for a while, but I would wear a like certain bras to teach class because I knew people would be looking at me and it was always the ones that had the pads in them, which is like, who the fuck cares? Free the nipple, man. Free the nipple. Free the nipple. (laughs) So Stacia, I feel like this is a really good uh, book for the women or people who identify as women to read. How do you feel about men reading this book? That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I sprung this one on her, guys. Yeah, surprise, surprise. I love it, though. I think that that is an interesting perspective. Like, is this something that anybody could get something from? And I honestly think any person, regardless of their gender, sex, how they identify, can get something from this. Because like I said, I think with the intersectionality of it, that it's not just like, oh, it's a woman problem. I think that it's something that women might be able to relate to a little bit more. But I think if you have an open mind, I know that there are plenty of men. I saw when, oh shit, what's their name? Gymshark. When Gymshark put out different models that now are more realistic and whatever else, people are like, Okay, so when are we going to see the men who aren't jacked to the gills? Oh, interesting. And it was like, wow, there really isn't a movement like that in the fitness space for men. And like, what a detriment that is to men to think that they have to live up to that standard of Mm -hmm. just jacked rippedness and all this stuff and the pressure that they face. And so I really do think that if anybody who struggles with body image issues would get a lot from this book. And again, you definitely have to be of an open mind. And I think that there's plenty of men stuck in their macho patriarchal BS that would like scoff at it. But if you could like push through that stupidness, um, I think that you really like anybody could get so much from this book. Absolutely. I always think about this story and I feel like it's kind of relevant. A couple years ago when we were like pretty early 20s, Dan was you know, at work and he worked with a bunch of guys who were also in their early twenties and they would all like lift together, not Dan, but this group of guys, they would all lift together. They were really into lifting. They all were like creatine supplements, da, 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 da. 
And they would talk about their lifting routine. And Stacia, I'm sure this has happened to you too, where you like have a fitness background and you're just like, I know what you're doing is like not right, but like <laughs> I don't want to burst your bubble. And also you're not really asking me. It's every day at the gym on Vashon. <laughs> every day. I know. It's so hard. And it's always like, I don't know about oh, you, but painful. usually something in me just snaps and I'm like, yeah. Ah! <laughs> I like let yeah. it all out and let it like it happens every couple of weeks. But so this was going on for a while at Dan's work. These guys were always talking about lifting and like Dan could tell that there was a lot of stuff wrong with it. And keep in mind, like Dan coaches rowing. Dan was also a college athlete. We had like all of these lifting coaches. So like, well, I like to think we know what we're doing. We learned from experts. Something finally happened and Dan just like made a comment at work and they were like, well, what do you know, Dan? Like you're, and Dan's like a tall, strong guy, but he's not like jacked muscles. Like he is very built, but he's not like obnoxiously, like I lift all the time and I can't like move my arms, you know? <laughs> and they were like, well, what do you know? And he was like, you know, I, I know a fair amount. And Dan's like not going to say much until he's really pushed there. And they were like, they just kept pushing him. They were like, well, you don't know anything about it. And he was like, I was a division one athlete. Like I had to do you know we had lifting coach coaches like x amount of times per week and all of this stuff and he was just like I I do know what I'm talking about actually but it was one of those things where because he doesn't look like he lifts 24 7 his muscles aren't bursting out of his shirts they immediately were like well you don't know anything about this and I was like thinking about how that is very to what you're saying a stereotype with men where I feel like with women there's all of these different ways that we can be all these different ways of being beautiful that society puts on us but with men it's like you have to be jacked you have to be lean and if you're not then you must not know what you're doing definitely but I do think that that also happens to women as well. I know so common once I became a personal trainer, so often on like Facebook thread groups for coaches, people are like posing the question, like, do you think it matters? If I don't look like a fitness model, can I get clients? And that's like the million dollar question because there is this weird assumption that in order to be an expert on telling people how to work out and work out well, that you have to be a fitness model. And it's like, well, actually, the two definitely are not mutually exclusive. Like, yes. you can look a hundred different ways and be an incredible coach and know tons about working out and the science behind exercise and be an effective trainer, et cetera, et cetera. But that whole idea that your body has to look a certain way in order for you to be an expert in it is just like so stupid. Ugh. I know. I actually saw a post today. I'll have to refind it and send it to you and then I can um, repost it on our feed too. But it was so cool. It was like said something along the lines of like, your body composition and your physical ability do not at all relate to your ability to like be a good instructor. And it was basically like this push for like more instructors and trainers of all different body types. And it was like, just because you look a certain way does not mean that you're like inherently going to be good or bad at training. And just because like you're saying someone has abs doesn't mean that they're a good personal trainer. And it was just like, we have to get out of this mindset of, oh, this person's really thin. They're probably going to be a more worthy or better instructor than this person who's maybe gained a little bit of weight or this person can't physically do this movement. So they must then somehow be, you know, out of shape or whatever. And I was just like, oh, we need more of this in the fitness space. This is so mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. And I do, I am encouraged by the fact that I think 
slowly but surely we were making a shift and I just about screamed with joy or shouted with joy screamed with joy sounds very strange um (laughs) yeah I was just so excited in the book and I wasn't surprised because it feels very on point for what she was saying but it also was just very reassuring and reiterated kind of my message around movement and she talked about that like exercise and movement And that so often we move from shame or obligation and we make these commitments that are birthed out of duress instead of like empowered choices for ourselves and for our body. And I know for me, my whole philosophy around exercise shifted when I realized when I was able to like break free from diet culture and like the unrealistic beauty standards and just embrace the fact that I'm going to check in with myself and move my body in a way that honors it and where it's at today. And again, it's an ongoing it's a journey. Thing. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, not a destination. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's not like every day I'm just like this perfect, like, oh, I just check in with my body and I know exactly what to give when it. And I, I give amazing. it to it every single <laughs> time. But I just think like the more and more I can reiterate the fact that you are allowed to move your body in ways that feels good for you, not because it needs to look a certain way. And I will say again, I recently starting in July, so July, August, September, we're entering into October now, almost so over three months, I've been doing a consistent lifting routine, and I've been getting way stronger, and I'm feeling like my muscles grow, and I'm feeling like super awesome, and my clothing does not fit any differently. My weight has not dropped in any way, shape, or form, and... I still do struggle with letting go of that being anything that should determine how I feel about the workouts that I've been doing. And that like is such a struggle, but it's been like so eye-opening to get back into a super consistent routine and be like, okay, like last time I did this, I lost like 20 pounds and became totally shredded. And I'm like, I'm being super consistent and these changes aren't happening. And it's honestly a good thing for me to have to go through, but it's also just a reminder that those messages that exercise needs to be for weight loss and that if you are working out, you should be losing weight is uh, something that ideally we can break free from because on the other side is like, oh, wow, actually doing all this exercise has been really wonderful for me and I feel so much better Mm -hmm. when I do it. So releasing that expectation and that shame and that obligation for needing to do it to lose weight or look a certain way. No, I totally get that. I did, um, so Stacia and I were recording this on October 5th. I just finished doing Whole30 in the month of September and I did it just because I was like, I want to like really focus on nourishing my body with healthy foods and like kind of explore some food sensitivities that I know that I have, but I haven't been giving much attention to, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I was doing it and I, I allowed myself not allowed myself, but I told myself like, I'm not going to do this hundred percent. I'm not going to like beat myself up if I have a few days where I just like need gluten or whatever. So I would say I did like 90% whole 30, but you hear all these stories of people who are like, I did whole 30 and I lost 40 pounds in one month or like, you know, they have these amazing transformations and I felt really great. My skin really cleared up, but I did have some moments where I was like, Oh, like, I want to, I want to lose a bunch of weight too doing this. And then I was like, Lizzie, that is not the point. And like, also just because you're not having this crazy transformation doesn't make it somehow not valid. But I realized that like looking at, you know, I was on Pinterest looking for recipes and then you naturally come upon like all of these transformation photos. And I was like, just 
don't get these out of your head. It's not helpful. Exactly. And I think that that is what we all can work. I mean, again, yes, it's a lifelong journey trying to break free from those thoughts because they're going to show up. You and I both have been on this like mindfulness journey and paying attention to our thoughts and the messaging that we receive for a while now. But we both just shared stories of that messaging creeping into our head and making us feel less than even though our actions are actions that align with who we want to be and like make us feel good. Yet we still hear that annoying little voice in our head that's like, wait, but did you lose weight? And it's like, actually, there are more things than how much you weigh matter. So what? Well, and it kind of goes back to that apology idea, because it is sort of this like, sometimes you feel in the back of your head when you're doing a new lifting plan or something like you need to apologize to yourself for not losing weight or somehow apologize to somebody else. And I definitely felt like that with Whole30, like I somehow was like doing it wrong, which, you know, I didn't do it 100% because I think mental health wise, like you just need to give yourself some like wiggle room, but it was one of those things where I was just like, no, I'm not doing anything wrong. Like I haven't fucked this up. I don't need to like apologize to myself for not going hard enough. This is just how it is. And that's totally fine. I think that that's important too in the fact of like setting realistic expectations because then you're not going to have that message be as loud when you start something like uh, some type of challenge or a new workout program being like, this is where where I'm at now and what I'm willing to put effort into. And it's going to be a win for me if I show up once a week and work out. I went from not working out at all to now one day a week. Like if that's where you're at, that's huge. being able to celebrate that, like you ha- your skin was clearing up, you were feeling more energized, all these things, celebrating that instead of focusing on what didn't happen. Like, well, what did happen? Like all these other really cool things that are totally worthwhile of celebrating. Like weight loss isn't the only thing that needs to be celebrated. <laughs> I know, I know it's, but it's just been drilled into us yeah. that that's the end result we all should be desiring. Um, Do you have any last thoughts? Any final words? Oh my goodness. Hmm. This book, guys, is so good. Like I've listened to it a couple times now and I highly recommend like if you do read it, come back to it a couple times because there's just so many good nuggets in it. I loved how she did the like, oh my gosh, now I can't even think of what she called them, but like the body inquisitions, but that's not what it was called. (laughs) Like, yeah, I know what you're talking about though. She poses all these questions at the end of the chapters for you to reflect and think on. And so that's why I do think like Lizzie said, this is a good book to revisit because it is just such a good reminder of ways in which you can be more mindful about how body shame creeps into your life and starts controlling and running the show and ways in which you can combat it, which again, when we're going to be constantly bombarded with negative messaging in the world we have to really like shore up on the positive messaging that we give ourselves and the encouraging and empowering messages that we give ourselves and that does require a certain amount of work and effort but it's totally worth it and I really really liked just how she tied it together with some kind of mindfulness based questions and reflection opportunities so like cannot recommend this enough yeah it's so good no I totally agree with everything that you just said there's just like so much food for thought and every time I listen to it or like even just pull open like the quotes on Goodreads from the book I just like take a new perspective on it and it is you know one of those things that Stacia and I talk about like there's a lot of work in this book 
And so to like really be able to do the work for yourself, I think you have to like come back to it a couple times. But I would love to know, Stacia, what's your yay for the day? I have a yay. So I was talking to Lizzie before we recorded this and uh, it's actually kind of funny because I have been back and forth on dating apps because I'm just like, ugh, I haven't even talked to a boy in like six months and well, it's I fine. Don't know how you do it. <laughs> It's totally fine, but I would say it is so refreshing with the work that I've done to get to enter in the dating sphere from a more empowered place. Like before, the second I would start talking to someone, I would immediately wait for this person to validate my existence and my worth. And if they didn't, feel really terrible about myself. And so now going into it with like, oh no, I know exactly what I want. I know what I am worth. And if you're not willing to show up and give that, I'm not going Mm. to worry about it. And so it was just funny because I had an interaction with somebody on a dating app this weekend. (laughs) That was very entertaining. Stacia just called this guy out. It was good. We need more of that in the world. Because this person was really just like willing to put forth the bare minimum effort. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And before I would have done anything to appease and make this person happy. Like, oh, like you don't want to leave the house because you're hungover. Like, I'll just come to you. Don't worry. And then I'm like, um, actually, I'm not like a dating delivery service where I just show up at your doorstep (laughs) and I'm like, hey, I want to hang out. Like, I'm a grown ass woman. (laughs) Yeah, I just Uh, killed me. Doesn't work that way. And uh, so it was nice, like, standing up for myself and what I want, but also in, like, a responsible way. Like, what I wrote was, I don't want to say kind of petty, but it was, like, uh, it was just calling it like it is. And uh, being, like... uh, if that's the amount of effort you're willing to put into this, I would hate to see the other effort you're willing to put in. So I'm going to call it a day. And it just felt good to like not have that impact or make me feel bad about myself. And so my yay for the day is just the more self-esteem I build and the better I feel about myself, the more I'm able to know what I want, ask for what I want and be not willing to accept just fucking the like not even the bare minimum yes. like well okay <sighs> you brought up such a good point about like being petty but it's like i feel like we're taught as women especially women of our generation like millennials that if you're like calling out just something like it is or like confrontation at all like any and confrontation isn't bad but we're taught that it's like petty or you're being like somehow super negative or bitchy and it is like no you're calling like you're just calling it like it is and being super honest and that's not a bad thing but I think that's something that every millennial woman is like re-figuring out like Oh, I'm not being mean. I'm just like not being overly nice. Yeah, like today at the gym with the guy that wouldn't wear the freaking mask and had the audacity to just completely ignore the rules. And my sister and I afterwards were like, well, what could have we said? And Steph was like, oh, well, you could have done that like compliment sandwich where you're like, hey, your squat form's really great. If you could put on a mask, that'd be great. Also, you have great hair. And it's like, why do we have to do that? Can't we just yeah, be like, bro, do that for you. follow the rules. Like, why do we have to sugarcoat it so that they listen? And that just being like, hey, these are the rules. You can follow them. Oh, but then that automatically makes you a freaking bitch if you're a woman. Whereas if a guy went up and was like, dude, put on a mask, he'd be like, oh, okay. okay cool. And no one yeah. would think about it. I totally, <laughs> yep. So, so I real. hear you there, so, girl. <laughs> so, so real. Well, I'm really proud of you for calling that guy out. And hopefully it makes him think twice about how he interacts with potential dates in the future. Yeah. 
Exactly. Potential like, suitors. <laughs> yeah. And losing out on those opportunities for the other people. But that's like their loss. It's not my loss. I'm not worried about it. I'm not sweating. So good. feels good. And mm. I would love to hear your yay for the day. <sighs> what is my yay for the day, Stacia? I don't actually know. Let me think. <laughs> We're in the is. same boat. This is why gratitude's important, guys. And we have some exciting <laughs> things coming in November yeah, regarding gratitude. So stay tuned because it really does make a difference in your life. Oh, actually, I have a good yay for the day that's like pretty relevant to what we were talking about. I had my workouts planned for the weekend. I was going to do a bunch of spin classes and go for a run and all of this stuff. And then my hips were feeling pretty tight. And I was just like, I don't want to do spin. I don't want to run. I don't want to do any of the stuff that I had scheduled for myself. So rather than forcing myself to do it, I just didn't do it. And I did a bunch of yoga (laughs) instead. And I felt, you know, I did like hard yoga classes. It wasn't like it wasn't a workout, but it felt good. And I was listening to my body and I, you know, I do love spin class, but sometimes I definitely do it after I've had like a big meal or something. And so I was like, Lizzie, don't pick your workouts based on what you did or did not eat or what you feel like you should do. Just do what your body needs. And I felt so much better. And I just kind of like, you know, went online and looked for a yoga class that fit with like the amount of time I wanted to spend and like kind of the style that I wanted to do. And it was really great. And, you know, as fitness professionals, I think Stacia and our Stacia and I are really about the balance of like, find something really fun, but also like, it's okay to stick to routines and challenge yourself, but you don't have to do that. 24 7. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lizzie, I freaking mm. love it. Listening mm. to your body. I'm so yeah, proud of it's you. Important. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes your body does just need, like, you know, I'm doing Stacia's lifting plan and it's amazing. And sometimes my body, like, that's all that it wants to do is pick stuff up and put stuff down. But then sometimes my body also is like, hey, I need a break. I need to do some yoga. And I know enough about myself now that if I don't listen to that, it's just going to get a million times worse. So listen to your bodies, people. Listen to your bodies. I love it. Stacia, do you want to tell them what our next book is? So for October 2020, we will be listening, uh, not listening to, well, you might be listening to it. You might be listening to it. I'm going to listen to it. reading Daring Greatly by Brene Brown and I'm super excited Lizzie suggested it and I was like "Mm, I love Brene Brown and all her work on shame based research and like it is just so relevant to everything we bring up on this podcast and super relevant with the world today I think uh, having that reminder of her message throughout that book is going to be really helpful and I'm really excited I know we both I think have read it before but we're like let's revisit it it seems like the appropriate I was just gonna you we're totally on the same page because I was gonna say it's okay if you've read it already I think this is another one of those books that it's really good to come back to yeah we are coming back to it and if you are too like we encourage you to either read it again or just join in for the conversation that we have so I'm excited to read it fresh information awesome uh do you want to close us out Stacia Yes. Thank you so very much for joining us today on this conversation on The Body is Not an Apology. It is always so great to see your ratings, your reviews, and getting messages from you all in support and love. We love y'all. And here's your friendly reminder that even though it's 2020, guys, hey, you got this. (laughs) What a good reminder. Hi, you guys. Stacia and I are so excited to share that we now have a Hey You Got This podcast newsletter that you can sign up for. The link is in our show notes as well as our Instagram bio. And by signing up for our email list, you will be notified 
Every time a fresh episode drops, you will get extra show notes and details from each episode, along with some other fun and exclusive pieces of content from Stacia and I. Thank you so much for your support, and we can't wait to see you in your inbox.